Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast on Monday the 13th of March. Coming up, hear about the Oscar winner from Kent plus the Gillingham boss chats after their fantastic win at the weekend and the emu-owning lady who seems to be able to predict the future. But first today, a Hernbay mum whose teenage son died after taking pills on a night out has spoken to the Kent Online podcast after the man who sold them to him was jailed. 17-year-old Will Hawley took tramadol while out with friends in Whitstable in 2018. Jake Minter was also 17 when he gave Will the pills. He's now 22 and has moved to Edinburgh from Whitstable but has been sentenced to nine months for supplying the Class C drug. Kim Webster now tells her son's story to teenagers to warn them of the dangers and she's been speaking to our reporter, Jerry Warren. Closure, that part of things. And um, I had to see it through because... The consequence of his actions, and you know, he he had to be punished for his part in Will's death. I don't hold him accountable. Like I said, he was part of what happened. You know, he, he contributed to Will's death, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I I've never held it against him. Um, he was only a young boy himself at the time. So, as a mum, I still have that nurturing feeling as you know it's not just will that lost his life and the boy that sold him drugs sold his friend drugs his life is never going to be what he wanted and will's friend you know his life is never going to be it's it's the trauma of that night so well but you get some or inspiration and some almost uh, benefit yourself from Within these thoughts, you know, but how do they react to the thought you give? Um, it's pretty hard hitting, and I don't apologise for that. Um, but the, the teenagers, young people I speak to, they're very moved by what myself and Andy has to say because it's no life stories. Um, and it's a lot, lots of emotion, but lots of questions, and you know, they do thank us for sharing those stories because they don't really think about putting their parents in any position when they're out having fun at the end of the day. And, and you say some of them are even brought to tears by them. Yes, yes, they are. There's a few that do, you know, some even have to walk out because of the emotion of, of what we have to say because uh, it, it's hard-hitting. And I just say it from my mum's point of view, and that makes them think of perhaps their mums or dads at home having to walk in the same footsteps as what I have and what Will's family have had to do. And uh, how many young people he you isolated? He's supposed to be seeing in these last Well, uh, as I'm still doing these talks now, I've literally tossed it just under about 18,000 children, young people that I've spoken to in the course of the last year, four years. Yeah. And you will continue to do this? I will continue to do this uh, for as long as I soon I can. Um, it's having such an impact on on the children and young people that I will continue for as long as I feel I can. And, and of course, it's in, in Will's memory that you do this, don't it? Does it, you, does it you get some benefit from it yourself? I get to talk about Will. You know, it's many five years now and life moves on. I understand that, but it doesn't really move on for me. 
So getting to talk about Will is a rarity in the union now. And so talking about Will, yeah. And you described him, you just as a regular young teenager. Will was a normal, typical teenager, um, curious, naive, um, but full of life and had so much future. Kent Online News. An update now on the top story in Friday's podcast and a 16 and 17-year-old are due in court after a teenage boy was stabbed in Medway. He's in a serious but stable condition in hospital following the attack on Gillingham High Street last Thursday. Two boys have been charged. Three other teenagers who were arrested have been released on bail. A Ramsgate man who'd been out partying on New Year's Eve before crashing his BMW into a lamppost has been banned from driving for nearly two years. The car was found in a field in Broadstairs with Stan Pike still inside. He failed a breath test and was charged with drink driving offences. The 21-year-old from Allington Street will serve a 20-month driving ban and pay nearly £500 in fines and costs. Now, as thousands of junior doctors start three days of strike action, we've been hearing why so many are leaving the profession. It's feared poor pay and poor working conditions are pushing them to quit or move abroad to earn money. I've been Speaking to Medway GP, Dr Julian Spinks. Well, when I talk to my junior doctor colleagues, I definitely hear stories of massive dissatisfaction and people looking to see how they can actually get out of the situation. Uh, You're getting people who are saying that their income has been eroded over a number of years, but also their working situation is getting worse and worse. They uh, often work 12-hour shifts without a break. They can't even get hot food in the middle of the night. Um, And as a result, they look elsewhere, particularly places like Australia, where they discover they can earn more money for shorter hours and have generally a much better quality of life. So I'm not surprised they're starting to look about possibly leaving the NHS. Obviously, that's not great for our health service, is it, which is already under a huge amount of pressure. Yes, and really, we need all the staff we can. We've got massive vacancies right across all the professions in the NHS. And the health service runs on people. It's not something you can automate very easily. So if we've not got those people, people are not going to get the level of care that they're supposed to get when they're admitted to hospital. How worried, Julian, are you about the care that people are receiving if there simply aren't enough staff around? Well, I am concerned because as a GP, um, whilst I try not to admit people to hospital, when I do, I expect them to have a high standard of care because these are people who are the illest at that time. And uh, if you take junior doctors who are disillusioned, overworked um, and hungry, then there's a chance actually their decision making will go down and they get less good quality care. And that really is a concern for patients and the profession alike. You mentioned pay earlier. Obviously, that um, has led to the threat of, of strike action by junior doctors. What does need to be done about that over the coming weeks and months? You want government to take action, presumably? I definitely feel that the government needs to realise that there is a major problem and uh, look at pay, but also other conditions and so on. The uh, the vote for industrial action by the junior doctors was overwhelming. And so it's not just a limited number of people who are trying to protest. It is the whole profession who feels that the situation has become untenable. Some of the stories we've been told regarding shift patterns, people were literally missing out on really big life events because they were voted onto a shift and they were literally told, no, you, you, you can't take the time off. Is that because there are so few people that these shifts are becoming so frequent and they're, and they're so long? If you have a shortage of people, uh, then there is a problem getting uh, replacements, locums and so on. But I must say some hospital trusts are 
um, really taking advantage of some of the junior doctors. I've heard stories of junior doctors being told to have a meeting and organise cover between them. Um, that's the responsibility, really, of the Human Resources Department of the hospital. They're the ones who are supposed to do it. Because other people, when they go on holiday, aren't expected to go to their colleagues and get them to cover for them. So uh, you know, we need to change that. We need to look at uh, making sure that uh, when someone books leave, for example, for a wedding or whatever, that you can't be told two weeks beforehand, oh, we've decided you can't have it, we've cancelled your leave. Kent Online reports. Now, this is one of our most read stories on the website today and school bus drivers who've been criticised for parking outside people's homes in Sittingbourne say they have no choice because other drivers are parking at bus stops. Westland School banned vehicles from picking up students on the school site back in 2019. Many drivers now park on the busy A2 London Road and at bus stops in Adelaide Road. Due to congestion, buses have been arriving as early as 2.15 for the 3pm pickup, frustrating residents who say it causes extra traffic, the noise from idling buses and also children gathering in front of their houses. Now, if you live on part of the Kent coast, you're being warned to expect to hear explosions this week. The Ministry of Defence has announced there'll be a range of activities at its Shoebury Ness weapons testing range just over the water in Essex. The sound from the testing and gunfire is expected to be heard on Sheppey and through Whitstable, Herne Bay and Thanet on Tuesday and Wednesday. There are plans to build another 250 homes between two new estates in Faversham. Developers want to use land off Ham Road near the Goldings and Faversham Lake schemes. Some of it would be affordable housing with children's play areas also included in the proposals. Next today, and we're going to be hearing from a Maidstone man who's getting ready for an epic fundraising challenge. Andy Perth and his friend Stuart Hatcher are hoping to raise over £50,000 for three dementia charities by rowing across the Atlantic. They'll be setting off from Tenerife in December and will eventually arrive in Antigua. Well, over the weekend, their specially designed boat was delivered to Medway Yacht Club so they can start training on the river. Andy has been telling me all about the challenge. It was born out of a little bit of um, boredom and frustration. I was uh, fortunate enough to retire um, just before the pandemic. Um, first bit of pandemic in the summer was beautiful. We all enjoyed a little bit of time out and uh, in the gardens. The second uh, lockdown, I think, uh, as we're all aware, was very hard over the uh, winter months. And it was those winter months that I decided that it, there's got to be a little bit more to life than um, watching daytime TV and doing absolutely nothing. So always being active, uh, decided that um, let's find a challenge. Uh, I've done lots of... Um, other challenges such as running marathons, um, jumping out of aeroplanes and things like that. And I wanted to find something that was very, very different, that was going to really stretch the um, imagination, um, physical ability, and obviously try and do something good as well. So um, as you know, we're uh, trying to raise money for dementia. Um, which is a cause very close to our hearts. So um, I literally decided that the task of Whiskey Atlantic Challenge was the thing for us, 3,000 miles from Lagomera to Tenerife. Um, all I needed to do was find a, a friend of mine that would jump on board and take 50, 60 days to cross the Atlantic. And Stuart Hatcher, a good friend of mine, jumped at the chance and uh, the idea was born. Well, you sound like a bit of a daredevil, as you say, but obviously training for this must be like something you've never done before. What on earth is going into your training regime at the moment? Yeah, at the moment we're, we're doing some boot camp uh, with Maystone Boot Camp. They've been um, excellent and supportive. 
and there's a lot of running. Oh, I run regularly with um, a, a local group called uh, Beginners to Runners, that you may have heard of. Um, so it's a general fitness, and now we're really looking at uh, the way that we eat um, and general healthcare because um, 60 days constantly rowing, two hours on, two hours off is going to be a challenge, I think, both mentally and physically. Now, it's a very exciting day that your boat is arriving at Medway Yacht Club. Um, tell us a bit about the boat, because it, it's not bog standard, is it? It's not the sort of thing you would see on a on a lake and go on a, on a little no, pleasure row. Not. This is a, a you know, quite a, an intense piece of kit. Tell us about it. It's a specially built um, carbon fibre boat. Um, it's about six metres long by one and a half uh, meters wide it has a cabin at either end which we keep locked all the time uh, there's a lot of rogue waves in the Atlantic and if the boat flips uh, then the, it should self-right again uh, we've got an air pocket at each end we've got solar panels for our power um, and we've got a water making machine to turn salt water into fresh water so that we can rehydrate our food um, other than that it's a bulk standard boat it's got no power at all it's got some electrics for the uh, navigation, um, but yeah, it'll be uh, an interesting challenge. And tell us, Andy, a bit more about why you're doing it, because you said you're raising money, obviously, for a very, very good charity. Why did you decide that charity in particular? Uh, certainly, it's very close to um, both of our hearts. Uh, Stuart's um, grandparents uh, have been afflicted by dementia. My mum is in a care home at the moment with dementia. Um, and I think it's just one of those uh, diseases where you lose your your family you care for them but actually at the end of the day it's a very very difficult um, disease to to process um, and it's just an inevitable um, disease that ultimately drags everybody down families so uh, we decided that there's a, a few really good charities um, to support uh, we've got uh, bright shadow which is a very small local charity based in folkestone nice local one we're supporting a charity called Sporting Memories, and they do a lot of work with um, people with dementia that have had sporting uh, pasts, and they've formed lots of clubs throughout the country. It's a great little charity supported by um, some very high-profile sports people. And the other one is obviously Dementia UK, which is fantastic, um, putting people into people's houses to um, help in their hour of need, so to speak. Well, if you want to read about the challenge and indeed donate to the pay, you can head to their website, which is ormightymates.co.uk. That's or as in O-A-R, mightymates.co.uk. Kent Online reports. Now, a neglected high street building in Canterbury that was once home to Burton and Dorothy Perkins could soon be transformed into a rooftop restaurant. The three-storey site on the corner of Rose Lane and the Parade is the subject of plans to build the restaurant on the top two floors and three shops on the ground floor. The proposal's now with the council and if approved, we're told the project would create 25 jobs. Plans have been put forward to build hundreds of homes and a leisure space in Maidstone. The redevelopment of a three and a half acre site on Sandling Road would be part of a £50 million investment and see 220 properties ranging from apartments to houses with underground parking. Two public consultations will be held this Tuesday and Thursday so people living nearby can see the plans and give some feedback. And assist 
assistance dog from Sheerness has won a prize at this year's Scruffs. Two-year-old spaniel mix Delilah was given the family crossbreed title at the show hosted by the Kennel Club over the weekend. She's trained to help her owner Francesca, who has autism and heart condition. They're planning to go to university together in September. More success and a former Kent schoolboy has won an Oscar for his work on Netflix war epic All Quiet on the Western Front. James Friend grew up in Maidstone and picked up the award for Best Cinematography at the ceremony in LA overnight. Empire of Light, which was filmed in Margate, was also nominated in the same category but missed out on the prize. And Miley Cyrus has equaled the all-time record for making it eight weeks at number one on the Kentop 40. The only song that's been there as long as Flowers was Ed Sheeran's Bad Habits back in 2021. Heaven by Noel Horan has moved up to number two in the chart, followed by Lizzo's Special in at number three. This is perhaps one of our most bizarre stories on the podcast. An emu-owning stranger has managed to predict the details of a woman's baby before it was born after the pair had a chance meeting in a pet shop. Victoria Bedford had been shopping at Pets at Home when a lady put her hand on her pregnant tummy and told her the gender, weight and hair colour of the baby. Well, she got almost all of the details correct. Victoria's mum then tried to track down the lady and thanks to a post on Facebook was put in touch with Alison Carter and she's been speaking to our reporter Alan Smith. Well, I don't know if it's a gift or whatever it is, but sometimes I'm able to just, you know, tell things to people, like the young lady in the pet shop. Um, I just stuck my hand on her stomach in conversation and I was able to tell her what day it was born, what weight he would be, that he'd be a boy and that he'd have blonde hair. He'd just, just come out. And uh, she found me on Facebook and that's why you're here. And uh, there you go, that's what happened. And um, I've done a few things. I don't, you know, say I've got a gift, I don't know what it is, but just sometimes I'm able to tell things, quite a lot of things sometimes, to quite a few people. And that's all I can say really about it. You know, that's it. <laughs> is it something that you have any control over? Um, I have some control. Like if I really try with some things, I can. Like everybody has something around them that I can beam into. But sometimes, you know, like you've all got something, even yourself, you've got something that you can touch into. But I just kind of ignore it. But if I'm relaxed with somebody, like I said, if I'm having a facial or my hair done, then maybe because I'm relaxed, I just enter into it. But, um, yeah, I've never really thought much about it. It's just one of them things. <laughs> and staying with the slightly unusual of Folkestone couple have found a giant beehive in their home after honey started dripping down the walls. Kate and Andrew Dempsey initially thought the dark patches were damp but investigated further when they noticed a sweet smell. They managed to remove huge six-foot pieces of honeycomb without getting stung. Head to Kent Online today to see pictures. Kent Online Sports. Football and it was a win for Gillingham at Priestfield over the weekend. They beat Tranmere Rovers 2-0 thanks to goals from Sean Williams and Connor Masterson. Boss Neil Harris was delighted with his team's performance and spoke to us after the final whistle. I don't have any negatives on that. You know, clean sheet, two goals, could have had more as well. Um, I think we, we had to build into the game. We looked a little bit, said to Livers sort of 20 minutes in, we looked like a team that's just come fifth game in 14 days and the third game in a week after two long trips. Even though I freshened it up, just thought we didn't really get going for tempo. Um, and then we sort of burst into life just before the goal, scored the goal and then dominated the rest of the half. And then second half was only one team in it. Um, so look, I'm, I'm delighted uh, with the performance, delighted with the lads that came back into the team, um, delighted with the lads that came off the bench, um, delighted with the squad in general because 
you know, it's just a pleasure every day. Everyone's just at it, everyone's enjoying it. Um, getting the atmosphere in the stadium was, was on a freezing day was, was really good. And, and I just can't be happier. You know, three three points, another step in the right direction. Still still got a lot of work to do, but um, yeah, there's only one team deserved to win that game. Yeah, second half was probably as comfortable as 45 minutes we've had this season. The game management was superb. Yeah, um, and, and in that you put people like uh, Sean Williams and um, Alex McDonald, um, Max Aimer, as experienced players that just 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 not carried the team and carried the team, but just just managed situations. And, and I thought Sean Williams's performance second half was phenomenal um, for considering his age and um, the travelling he's done this week. But that was that was that that sort of that performance and that result sort of indicates uh, me as a manager making changes. Over the course of the week, um, taking players out on, on, on Tuesday and they're not starting certain players today because of minutes they've played or where they've been at injury or illness-wise. Um, so again, the, the group are buying into it. I, I have to build trust in the players to you know that they they trust my decision making, when to put them in, when to take them out, when I think we might need a Dom Jeffries of energy off the bench today, uh, for example. Um, I just have to keep trying to make the right decisions, Phil. Don't I? And another clean sheet, very, very uh, encouraging to put lightly on the foot. Yeah, just, just think, we've gone three games without a goal, haven't we? You know, so we've had three games without a goal and two, two nil-nil draws, and, and Bradford, where we should have scored and didn't. Um, but then you start, I don't want people to start thinking, oh, we're going to go back to Gillingham for free Christmas, oh, we can't score a goal, and today we scored two and, and created chances. So, um, clean sheet mentality was there again today, definitely was there today. Um, and... and and I think if we'd had that sort of goal-scoring mentality from for anticipation at Harrogate last week, we'd have won that game as well. Just finally, but Sean Williams' goal, it was a similar set play about five minutes before we had a, a free header. Do I say it was something that you'd, you'd worked on? Uh, yes, yeah, obviously. Um, like, I, I set them up. You know, I, I studied the opponent and set plays. It's in the final third, so it comes sort of within the coaching staff. That's my responsibility with the attacking ones. Um, um, so... Um, yes, we'd worked on it, but then you have to rely on decision making and quality. And Macca's delivery was excellent, and Willow's timing in the head was, was, was very good. So, um, yes, we, we, we obviously we have plans, but it's down to the players to execute, them, and, they, and they did it perfectly. The result means the Jills remain at nine points clear of the League Two relegation zone, and they are now 19th in the table. Tennis and Kent's Emma Rajikanu is in action at the Indian Wells Masters later. The 20-year-old from Orpington is taking on Brazil's Beatrice headed Mayer in the third round. And the family of a 10-year-old with cerebral palsy are fundraising for a power chair that they hope will allow her to still be able to play football. Bella Barton from Faversham was due to have treatment to lengthen the tendons in her legs, but it was delayed due to the pandemic. Pandemic, meaning she now needs a wheelchair full-time. Well, her mum is hoping to raise £2,000 to buy a second-hand powered chair, which has a cage in the front for hitting a ball so that Bella can still play the game she loves. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get an update of the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. And to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.